Amen. Our scripture again is taken from the 90th number of Psalms, and we'll reference other portions of it, but our focus is on verse 12. Uh, Psalms number 90, verse 12. And it reads as follows. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Amen. Teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. As you can see from the inscription or the title of the psalm, that this is a psalm written by Moses. And it begins with a poetic, but at the same time, a profound expression of the intended fellowship between God and his created image bearer. Verse 1 is probably the most repeated and the most uh, familiar portion of the psalm. Uh, O Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Uh, And as the old King James says, you have been our dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, the, The ESV has it, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And really, as we said, it's a poetic expression, but the idea that's captured by Moses here is that human fulfillment and human purpose is to be in fellowship and harmony with God. And so everything that we find in the comforts of home, everything that we find in the comfort of our own dwelling is really, uh, it's symbolic of the rest and the fellowship and the harmony that we have with God. That's God's intended purpose. Uh, what is the chief end of man? To, enjoy, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, the interesting thing here, uh, given the fact that this psalm was written by Moses, the only psalm that is ascribed to him, this means that more than likely this was written in the wilderness. Not only was it written in the wilderness, but as some have suggested, that it was possibly written uh, just prior to his death, as his death was was pending. That Moses writes this passage, and the very idea that, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, you have been our home. The idea that this is coming from Moses, a man who was in the wilderness, is, is more than ironic. So let's look at a few things that goes into the idea that God is the dwelling place of his people. And Moses would say that, that God himself. Now hold in mind that for over 400 years the children of Israel had lived in Egypt. All of their time there was not difficult. We know that it was only at the point when there was a king who rose who knew not Joseph that their that their time there was a period of of enslavement. But when Joseph first brought his family there, they enjoyed peace, they enjoyed prosperity, they enjoyed all of the privileges of being associated with the family of Joseph. So they experienced all of the wonders and all of the joys of Egypt. Moses himself prior to being called uh, to, to be the deliverer of God's people, Moses was raised not just in Egypt, but in the lap of luxury. 
He was raised in the king's palace, the, power, the, the Pharaoh's palace. He was adopted as the daughter of, of, of Pharaoh. And so he grew up in all of the privileges and all of the luxury of Pharaoh's house. And then, of course, when the children of Israel were liberated from Egyptian bondage, the Lord promises them that he would give them a land of milk and honey. And, of course, that would be Canaan. Uh, Moses himself would not experience this, but what God was promising his people, that he would dwell with them in the land of Canaan, and there they would experience comfort, and they would experience luxury. And so therefore, we see comfort, we see creature comforts, we see luxury in their past, corporately as a people, and as we look into the future, we see a better experience for them than what Moses was experiencing when he wrote this psalm. So here they are, and one could say, yes, you have been, uh, you have been our dwelling place, but when we get to Canaan, boy, won't that be great. But Moses has in this moment what, what, what uh, in, in Pulp Fiction uh, Sam Jackson says, what they call a moment of clarity. Moses has an epiphany, as it were. And what Moses realizes is that the luxury and the comforts that they had experienced before they were put into captivity, the luxuries that he had experienced in Pharaoh's house, and even the promised land that he was not allowed to experience was not the end for the people of God. The ultimate end for the people of God is to be in fellowship with God. And when they are in fellowship with God, then God himself is their home, and that is greater than the luxuries of Egypt. It certainly is greater than the inconveniences of living in a wilderness. And what the people do not fully realize, and unfortunately, even when they occupied the land, they still didn't fully realize it, that there is something greater than Canaan. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this theme in Hebrews chapter 4 when he says that, that Jacob or that Joshua did not lead them into the land of promise or else there wouldn't still be a promise that yet remained. So in any event, here's what we see. Moses writes not only as his own testimony, but he writes for the posterity of those that would follow him. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Not in all generations, our home is to be in fellowship and in harmony with you. For all of eternity, and all of eternity future is supposed to exist with God's people having been reconciled to him. They are to be in, in harmony and fellowship with God. And the gift of time is really the road that we travel that, that we are given to travel to, that leads to the blessed eternity of being in unbreakable, unshakable fellowship with the God who created us for his own glory. So when Moses takes this moment and he says, you have been our dwelling place, he's not crying over Egypt lost and he's not pining for the Canaan that he will never see. What Moses realizes is that in that moment in time, understanding what he does, that God is the dwelling place, the luxurious dwelling place 
for his people. Now understand, we see in verses uh, throughout the psalm that, that Moses understands, and well, I put it this way, Moses' understanding of God's, God being the dwelling place of his people is the result of him understanding the problem of fallen humanity. In verses 3, and 7, and 9, he gives an indication that he knows what man's problem is. And so in these verses, he addresses the breach that is in the fellowship between God and man. In verse 3, he says, uh, you, he says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. So in other words, the very fact of death is because of a breached fellowship. In verse 7, he says, for we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. In verse 9, he says, for all of our days uh, pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. In these verses, Moses addresses the fact of the breach in the fellowship that the end result is that it has rendered man spiritually homeless. And we feel the weight of our homelessness. We feel it and we struggle with this. But then Paul, David, or, or excuse me, Moses also recognizes in verses 14 and then 16 and 17 that God graciously in time allows the, the relationship that has been broken to be reconciled. In verse 14, he indicates, uh, he points towards God's grace and God's or his redeeming grace. In verse 14, he says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Steadfast love refers to God's covenant faithfulness to his people. So satisfy us early in the morning with your steadfast love. And notice this, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Because without being in right, reconciled relationship with God, man is spiritually homeless. And we will always try to find a home. And so we will seek, we will seek co the comforts of home, usually in the wrong places. In verses 16 and 17, he says thusly, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And so Paul, uh, Moses, again, understands that God has graciously and God has covenantally reconciled himself to his image bearers. And until he calls us home to our eternal destiny, God has reconciled himself to us so that whether we are in bondage in Egypt or whether we are in comfort in Egypt or whether we are wandering in the wilderness or whether we are enjoying the, the milk and honey of Canaan, it is not those things that make us home. God is our home. Now, these other realities are problematic for us, and so therefore we see that Moses understands, yes, we have been reconciled with God, but as we see now in verse 8, Moses is also conscious of remaining and continuing sin. Look in verse 8, and he says, he says, you have set our iniquities before you. 
our secret sins in the light of your presence. And the fact of continuing sin, the fact of remaining sin, knowing what original sin cost us, original sin got us evicted. Original sin put us at odds with our creator. And Moses understands that we've been reconciled, but he also understands the weight of remaining sin. I think this is what leads him to say what we see in our text. Teach us, O God, and to, to, to number our days that we may, that our hearts may be given over to wisdom. Now understand about this psalm, it's really in the form of a prayer. The, entire, the entirety of the psalm is, is addressed to God, that Moses is pouring his, out, his heart out to God. And so he is petitioning God, and what he petitions for in this 12th verse is in conjunction, it's, it's actually sort of juxtaposed between these two realities, or three realities. God is our intended home. We have sinned, and we have been therefore rendered spiritually homeless, but by his grace, we are reconciled to him, so he is now our home. But the problem is this. Our ex experiences, our external circumstances, and the fact of continuing sin doesn't make it feel like we are at home. In fact, we see in the New Testament that we are sojourners. And so it's hard to, to, to really understand the weightiness of the idea that we are at home in God when we are reconciled with him, that we have everything that we need. He is really, literally our dwelling place. Everything, all of the safety that home implies, all of the security that home implies, all of the comforts that home implies is packed into God. So that whether we have much or whether we have little, if we are reconciled with God, we are at home. But the reality of sin and the, the muscle memory of sin doesn't always, always make us feel at home. And it's for this reason that Moses gives us this particular petition of this prayer. And I just want to briefly look at three things relative to this petition in Moses' extensive prayer about God being the dwelling place of his people. The first thing is this. When Moses says, teach us to number our days, he's not asking God to tell us how long we're going to live. When he says number our days, this, this is not, this is the intention here is not quantitative. He's not saying, tell us how long we're going to live and then we'll get right. No, that's not the issue here. Really, the issue here is qualitative. Teach us to number our days. In fact, elsewhere in the Psalms, we are told that we have three score and ten, uh, by if, and if by way of, of, of strength, we may have ten more. So we basically know that man is, is being sinful is, com comes here expiring. And so we celebrate, uh, I like what it says in, in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, that he has put eternity in our breasts. And certainly, we do celebrate long life. But understand, the longest, um, the, the longest life that is lived outside of Eden is still not eternity. 
And so the fact of death, that's why the writer of Hebrews says that, that death has, in a sense, sort of haunted us ever since the fall. We've been haunted by death. And so, therefore, when Moses says, teach us to number our days, he's not saying, he's not saying teach us, give us the, the length of days that we're going to have, or teach us how long we are going to live. So it's not a question of quantity. But this petition is qualitative. Another way to put it is teach us to recognize the grace of each day. Teach us to, to highly value your gift of time. Because God has given us time. And one of the things that happens with, with creatures, uh, fallen creatures, only sinners can, can create a term, and it's apt, and it's, it's very descriptive, but only sinners can come up with the idea of procrastination. You know what procrastination is. It's putting stuff off. And we put stuff off for different reasons. Sometimes we just don't have the energy to do it. Sometimes it looked like a good idea when we thought about it. And then when we start to do it, it doesn't look so good. But in any event, there are any number of things that can hinder us. Here's what, what Moses is really praying about. Lord, teach me. Teach me to the value of every day that you have given me. If our days are long, if our days are short, teach me. Teach me the value of the gift of time. You see, brothers and sisters, time is, it is a curse in a sense if you are outside, if you are homeless. If you're homeless, time seems to taunt you and it's a curse. But if you are reconciled to God, then time is a gift. In fact, it's even a gift for the unregenerate because it gives them an opportunity for repentance. But for those who are reconciled to God, time is not a curse. But time is, is our opportunity to respond to God's saving grace and the gift of daily grace. We are told by, by Jeremiah in Lamentations that morning by morning, new mercies we see. And again, notice the context in which Moses is writing this. He's not writing this from his private bedroom as the son, the grandson of Pharaoh. He's not writing it from the land of Canaan because he's not allowed to go there. He's writing this from a dusty desert place. And he knows that he's been reconciled with God. And we know that he has, if it, listen, if the majority rules, then Moses could have lifted his voice with the majority. And you know one of the most consistent characteristics of the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness they were complainers. They were complainers. They were always complaining. Nothing was good enough and every, every distress or every difficult time was all oh, their lives were just falling apart. I always loved, I can't overlook the irony of the fact that after they get through singing in the desert about God delivering them across the, the Red Sea and, and then when Moses got finished with his song, Miriam starts up with the women and they start singing and playing the tambourine and then soon as they got finished, it was like, oh man, we're thirsty. Somebody got any water? No, I thought you had the water. No water. And then all of a sudden they go from singing God's praises to cursing and complaining. We would have been better off 
Why did you bring us out here, Moses, only to die? To die of thirst. Why did you do it? Moses could have joined in with the majority. He, on top of him being stuck in the wilderness, more than likely by the time he penned this psalm, he knew he wasn't going to get to Canaan. And yet, God extended his days. And so his prayer and his petition is, Lord, teach me. Teach me to number my days. I'm not in, I'm not, I'm not in Egypt anymore, not as the, the grandson of Pharaoh. I'm, not, I'm, I'm no longer, I'm not, I'm not a part of the, the enslaved people. So, so here I am. I'm yours. You're our dwelling place, but I'm not going where they're going. So teach me. Teach me to be a profitable servant, even while I'm in the wilderness, knowing that I'm not going to cross over the Jordan, but teach me, teach me to be content in the grace that you have given me for this day. Teach me to see the mercies, your mercies, as I get up out of this tent another day and go and face all of these grumbling, complaining people again as we distribute the daily manna and as we distribute the daily quail and as we lead these people and worship these ungrateful people, Lord, let me not get lost in them and forget that I'm at home with you. He's not saying extend my days. He's not even praying that the Lord would let him how long, let him know how long he would live. But I think this petition is a request to God that he would grant him the ability to recognize the gift of the grace or the, the gracious gift of another day. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we experience in this life things, days that stand out more than others. And we can sometimes even forecast some things that are just going to be horrible for us to face. And it would be easy for us to, to, to curse the day. But we should learn from Moses rather than let us be consumed by the spirit of the day or the spirit of the age that we should petition God for the grace to see the mercies of a new day and all that it represents. As we launch into 2020, let it be our prayer that whether we get halfway through, because none of us know, whether we get all the way through the year. I've often said this about years, no matter how long a person lives, we all experience it one day at a time. And so the prayer that Moses prays is, God, you who are our dwelling place, you who are our home, you who are our refuge and our sanctuary, teach us. Teach us to, to, to measure the day. The, the, to teach us to honor you in the day that you have given us. But here's the second thing we see about this particular petition. This petition is also a confession. It's a confession. By saying, teach us, teach us to, to, to number our days, it's a confession of our proneness to be distracted and discouraged and, and sometimes even to have distortions as we, that, that hinder us from seeing and understanding the grace of a new day. 
Every day is an opportunity to praise and to worship God, and every day God gives us the strength to survive it. And don't get confused by what's on your calendar. If God gets you up, he has supplied you with the strength for that day because for all of the things that we schedule, it's those unscheduled moments that can throw us off. I love um, Jeannie was playing during the offering, Come Thou Fount. And uh, by the way, one great advertisement for our evening services is to hear the concerto that Jeannie plays during the offerings. Wonderful, wonderful examples of beautiful hymnody. But that, that hymn, Come Thou Fount, has a, a, a lasting and true confession for all of the people of God prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. That's what we are. And so this is a confession when he says, teach me to number our, our days, my days. Teach us to number our days. In other words, teach us to, to appreciate the value and the graciousness of the gift of another day. Another day. And, be, and why do we need to be reminded of this? Because, and, and, and I say this often about um, in fact, I mentioned it this morning in our Sunday school that when it comes to the Christian life, we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. And the reason I keep repeating the intentionality of our efforts, because even with hearts that have been renewed by grace and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that the right thing is intuitively going to come from us. We have to seize the day. Because any given day is filled with distractions, things that can distract us in a positive way that gives us pleasure that is not always healthy for us. We can be distracted by the pleasures of the flesh. We can be distracted by the things that are going on around us. And we can become overwhelmed. We can become discouraged because of the things that are going on in our horizontal experiences, because of the things that are going on around us, the things that are going on in the world. And then, of course, there's always those quick-fix religious uh, uh, charlatans that are always out there, the, the, the gurus of positive thinking that, that tell us that, that stuff is not as bad as it is and all you need to do is this and you can fix yourself and then we try to fix ourselves and only mess ourselves up all the more. What ends up happening is not that God's grace is not present but we are hindered from seeing it. Isn't that the experience of the children of Israel? They confess that God is great and that God has done all of these wonderful things until the bread runs out or until they travel long enough. And then they, it, and it's amazing the many things that are prone to become big things when you've been away from home too long. My parents, when we were coming up, uh, they were from Arkansas, and usually every other year, if not uh, sometimes every year, we would, as often as possible, I'll put it that way, we would go back to Arkansas. Usually during the summer, we would go to Arkansas, and at the time, it was mostly with my older two sisters. My, my sister was a year older than me, and my sister who passed away was two years younger, so they're traveling across country with three kids, three, three kids, elementary school age. 
anywhere between the ages of four and, and, and ten. We were, we're traveling across country, and the first few miles are cool. You know, we're listening to music, and we're enjoying one another. And then, lo and behold, and it's roughly about a 23-hour uh, drive from California, from Los Angeles to Arkansas. Lo and behold, before we could get to Arizona, somebody says, Mama, she's touching me. You know, and, 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 and so then we start complaining, and, and the reason, I mean, granted, it's the fallenness in us, and, and, but the idea is that it's not natural for three children that age to be locked up in a car driving across country, and so we're out of our element. We were away from the things that made us comfortable. And so my, my, my parents always had a way. They would listen for a minute, and then, and then, then you, had, you had the final warning. Don't let me have to stop the car. <laughs> and usually that would fix the problem. But my point is this. We are like Moses, that we're not in Canaan. We're in a desert place. We're in a wilderness. And the wilderness brings out the worst of fallen sinners. And so some days we will be singing God's praises from the time the sun rises. And other times we have to drag ourselves out of bed. Sometimes we feel like we are ready to go on and, and let this journey continue. And other times we think that there is no hope in our situation. Brothers and sisters, what Moses is doing is confessing the proneness of fallen humanity, redeemed as we are, to be discouraged and distracted so that we see more of the desert than we see the reality of God as being our dwelling place. And so he confesses to God, teach me to number my days because teach me to value your gift of time because I am prone to forget it. But here's the third and final thing. Moses also recognizes that that which is able to, that what we need in dealing with the, with the gift of time in a fallen world is wisdom that comes from above. That's why he says, give me a heart of wisdom. Give me a heart of wisdom, not just so that I can answer questions and give counsel. Give me a heart of wisdom so that I would know how to honor you in the day that you have given me. Give me the wisdom necessary for today's journey in this wilderness place. Paul picks up on this theme in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. And beginning in verse, um, in verse 15, he says this, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And that's what Moses is saying. Moses is saying, Lord, we're in the journey. In other words, there's sand and dust, and pretty soon we're going to come up on a village that doesn't like us. Because we traveled yesterday, and it was sand and dust, and there were villagers and other places that where folk didn't like us. And then you'll find in the wilderness not only enemies along the way, but as they found in other places in Moab, they found people that, that did like them, but they corrupted them. So Moses' petition is, Lord, grant me a heart of wisdom so that I would know how to conduct myself in the day that you have given me knowing that even though I'm not finally home, I'm at home in you because you are our dwelling place. And even though it's not a physical location, being reconciled to you is the best news a fallen human being can experience. But sometimes our horizontal experiences, our journey in the wilderness, gets us lost in little moments that distract us from the fact that we are redeemed. And as the redeemed people, the one thing that these people had the assurance of, they did not know when they would reach Canaan. They did not know how many more battles they would have to experience. They didn't know who would be alive when they got to Canaan. But here's what they could bank on. That they would make it to Canaan. And the reason they could be assured of that is because the God who delivered them from Egypt promised them Canaan. And on the way, he reconciled himself to them. And so I would say to us, and I like what Steve Brown says, he says, the guarantee or the fact or God will do what he has promised to do. And the guarantee that he will do it is the fact that he has promised it. And God has promised us that we are at home in him. And ultimately, the gift of time is the road that we travel to that final destination where we have the eternal, unbreakable, indissoluble fellowship and harmony with him. And no matter how many windstorms you experience along the way, you will get home. And the guarantee that you will get home is the fact that the Father has promised it. And the, the promises of the Father have been certified in the blood of the Son. So I pray that as we approach this new year, that we would recognize that God is our dwelling place. He is our home and has been. That's what he has created us for and he has recreated and redeemed us in Jesus so that we, even in our wilderness journey, we would experience the delight of being the apple of his eye. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. Even if we're in a desert, we're at home in God. So I pray that as the Lord grants us each day, that we would be like Moses. Teach us, O oh God. Teach us to measure our days through your grace.
and grant us a heart of wisdom so that we would be able to honor you and glorify you and serve you no matter what the day brings because we are at home in you. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the reminder that it's not the homes that we purchase in a perishing world. It's not the houses that we live in. It's not our state. It's not our family. It's not our possessions. But you, you are our home. We're not lacking. We might get antsy. We might get anxious. We might become irritable. We pray that you, by your grace, would teach us how to measure each day for what it is so that whether we have been up or down, right or wrong, we would glorify you. We would give praise to you. We would honor your great name. As we go throughout each day as it passes, let this petition be our petition. Teach us to measure and to honor our days and grant us a heart of wisdom so that we would be profitable servants in all that we do. Thank you, Father, for your grace in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with you both now and forever. Let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.